Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Really excited to have you guys here. Before we jump into this show with Rocky Lalvani from the Richer Soul podcast, I wanted to kind of give you guys a state of the financial residency podcast with half the year over and the second half going. You know, I wanted to let you guys know what's going on. So with all the great feedback that you guys have been giving me through the Facebook group, which you can join at financialresidency.com slash community or through my email that you guys have been sending me, which anyone is always welcome to send me an email with letting me know what you're doing or, you know, having any questions, I'd love to answer them at ryan at financialresidency.com. I've decided that let's take all the knowledge that we've had over the past shows and see how we can relate this to someone's actual financial plan. And I've decided to open it up to all the listeners here, all of you listening. If you would like to have your financial plan completed by me for free, on air, I'd love to talk with you. So I will be in the next email that'll be going out, releasing a link that'll say, hey, here's the information that I need. Please let me know what it is. And I will go through and I will pick someone that will be our first on air financial plan done on the financial residency podcast. And if it's something that you guys love doing and like hearing about and seeing how it implements into real life, we'll keep doing them. The case studies I think would be super fascinating to hear, but I want to make sure that it's super fascinating for you all to hear and that you all think it's that, that awesome to hear. So the second update that I wanted to give you guys on about the show is actually on the show's website, financialresidency.com. What I've done is actually created a resources page. It's some businesses that I know and have vetted and trust that I usually refer people to anyway of experts in their field on some of the things that I know will really help you listeners out with your financial journey. So go check them out at financialresidency.com slash resources. Now let's jump into that ever so important disclaimer. I am a fee-only financial planner and a fiduciary for my clients, but let's be honest, I don't know you or anything about you. The show is for educational purposes only and shouldn't be taken as legal or financial advice. Please consult your attorney, CPA, or your fee-only financial planner before you take any action or make any important financial decisions. All right, so now that we've got some of the business stuff out of the way, let's jump right into the show with Rocky Lalvani. Rocky, thank you so much for being on the Financial Residency Podcast. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. My name's Rocky Lalvani. I came to the United States when I was two years old. We immigrated from India it was 1968. And at that point in time, you were only allowed to take so much money from the country. So it was my dad's and my mom's second big move. And they were allowed to take $25. And they came to the United States to the land of opportunity to live the dream. They both had a sibling here to kind of help get them started. And by started, I mean, we were pretty much at the bottom rung of the economic ladder. And yet within a very short period of time, almost every year we kept moving up to nicer and nicer places and nicer and nicer homes. And the community that they were involved in, were, it was all the people from back home. Everybody just seemed to have constant success. 
And one of the cool things of growing up in this community is everybody talked about money, which is natural to me, but I've come to learn is not natural to everyone else. Mm -hmm. So people would discuss how much their house cost or how much their rent was or how much they paid for a car or how much money they were making. All of these things were just normal discussions. And little by little, I just, I watched this group work hard, do the right things and achieve financial success. Now, my dad did okay. Unfortunately, when I was seven, my mom got cancer and within a year she passed away. So mm. he's a single dad in his 40s uh, trying to raise a son. It's the early 70s. We're in the middle of a recession. So he always did his best. He always put me first. And he taught me a lot of skills. And a lot of those skills were, and, and I think they're just natural to our Indian community. We negotiate everything. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is we like to live a nice lifestyle in the sense that we want nice things, but we don't want to pay for nice things. So even though my dad never made a ton of money, we traveled all over the world. Um, and, you know, after I moved away and he retired, even on a, a limited fixed income, he would go all over the world all the time and, and enjoy a, all kinds of great things. You can get things for a lot less expensive than you imagine if you're willing to look for bargains and negotiate. Um, and he taught me just to constantly save. And when I got out of college, that was the first thing I did. I set up all of these different automated savings systems, whether it was the credit union, the stock plan, the 401k, the brokerage account, and I just let them run. Now, I will tell you, I made a ton of stupid money mistakes over the years. I chased stocks. I chased returns. I sold when I should have been buying when the market was at its lows. You know, in 2008, mm -hmm. I panicked. 2000, I looked around and I saw things were crazy. And, and I, I did okay through that particular up and down period. So I've made a million mistakes. Along this way, I've been able to become a multimillionaire just following the practices in spite of the mistakes. And that kind of brought up the second problem is watching all these people as I was growing up and many of them got extremely wealthy, you know, eight figure, nine figure kind of wealth. I noticed their kids were really screwed up because as they went from the bottom to the top, they wanted their kids to have everything. And that's not necessarily the answer. They never taught their kids money skills and their kids became entitled. And so mm -hmm. I'm I'm sitting here watching my kids grow up and I'm like, I want to make sure that even though I have the money to do everything for them, that these kids aren't entitled. And so I've kind of over the years through all the mistakes and, and the life experiences, I've been able to put together a pretty good program for living life on my terms. That's pretty amazing. You've said so many cool little financial nuggets inside of there that I, I do want to go out. And I've become a, a new fan of yours at Richer Soul and, and uh, your podcast and excited to continue listening. And I encourage everyone listening here to really dig in and, and go check out your, your stuff. So one of the questions I had, though, is you said you're, even though on a, on a modest lifestyle, your dad was always traveling and still was traveling even after. So was this where he was consciously saving? And I know you said getting discounts and things like that helps, but you know, we assign every dollar a task, right? So was he not experiencing other things or, you know, maybe spending frivolously on other things to save up for the travel? Was that like his 
number one priority in terms of savings? He didn't spend a lot of money except on what few things he wanted in the sense that when we grew up, we didn't have air conditioning. You know, that was so he he would not spend on a lot of stuff. And he would always save. And so when he wanted to travel, he would find deals. And you'd be surprised at, especially when you back when I was a kid, I remember they would go through like these ticket agents. Mm-hmm. And so a, a ticket to India was maybe seven or eight hundred dollars through a ticket agent. Whereas if you went to the airline, you were paying double plus for that same ticket. And so he found those types of deals. I think he stayed. He We have family all over the world. And so he would stay with family instead of staying in a hotel. Okay. So he still got to experience the world, but he didn't have to pay for it. Yeah. And now nowadays, I mean, there's travel hacks and all sorts of things that, you know, other people have figured out. And, you know, back when the internet wasn't around, your, your dad still navigated it. Sounds yes. quite well. And you're right. Today, there are so many travel hacks that you can have amazing vacations for a fraction of the cost. And and I'm not talking going to not so nice areas. I've traveled hack to stay in New York City, in the heart of the city. I've traveled hack to stay in uh, London on some of the nicest areas. And we found deals throughout life. It's possible if you're willing to spend the time, which is one of the problems for your clients is especially being a physician, you've really got to balance your time versus money and figuring out where do you put your efforts? Yeah. And it's just being conscious about, you know, what's important, right? It's the, the kind of saying in here is, is, you know, the lifestyle creep. Once they finish training and they experience, you know, four to seven times their income, sometimes higher from training to, to now being attending, they have delayed gratification. And it's one of the things it's like, well, how, how much do you let it inflate? And is this the right avenue to go? Is this what makes you happiest? And sometimes they get stuck in all of a sudden, oh, we bought too big of a house. We bought the Tesla. We did all these things. And now we're living paycheck to paycheck at, you know, a 250 or $300,000, you know, household income. And that is very true. So I, I like to tell the story of baking a cake. If you want to bake a cake, there's a recipe to follow. And there's a set amount of ingredients. If you take those same ingredients and you use them in the wrong order and you don't combine them properly, in other words, if I if I take a pan and I throw some flour in it and I put some frosting on top of it and I crack an egg on it and I put it in the oven and then I take it out and I, I try and beat it and add the rest of the ingredients, what kind of a cake am I going to have? Sounds disgusting. It <laughs> sounds disgusting, right? If I take those same exact ingredients and do it properly, I have a wonderful, beautiful cake to eat. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're talking about. Taking the, the same ingredients and doing your spending in the proper order. So the first thing is to build your base, understand and build that financial rock that everything else can be built upon. Once you build your financial base, everything else becomes easier. Part of that is knowing what you want in life. My dad knew what he wanted in life. I know what I want in life. Know what you want in life so that you're not spending money trying to impress people that don't even care about you or, you know, are going to out impress you anyway tomorrow. You know, the BMW in the driveway today, tomorrow someone's got a nicer, better one and you're still stuck with a payment 
and a BMW you no know, you no longer love. If you do things in the right order and you take the time to think it through, you'll have the beautiful like like that beautiful cake. If you don't, you end up with that mess and you wonder, how is it I'm making all this money and my life is not what I expected it to be? Yeah. And really what you're referencing here is uh, I actually spoke with Sarah Falah, the owner of Data Points, and her father is Thomas Stanley, the author of The Millionaire Next Door. And I'll link to that in the show notes. But you're, you're talking about social indifference, keeping up with the Joneses. And I know that in that show, we went a lot into the psychology behind that. But it's, I mean, it's exactly true. You don't need to live the doctor lifestyle uh, because that's what society tells you. It's, you know, really sitting down and thinking about what do I really want out of life? What does my ideal life look like? What does my ideal day or week or year look like? And, you know, while, you know, money is still limited now, at some point it won't be. At some point, if you're doing the right things, you'll have plenty of money to do what you want. And yeah, Rocky, we can talk about doing the the discount travel and travel hacks and things like that. But, you know, let's be real. If they're doing the right thing to start and they're not making horrible financial decisions and they're building that financial foundation early in life, most of the the listeners here will be fine. It's understanding what's truly important. And I know we mentioned the the financial rock or the financial foundation. Do you want to maybe go a little bit into that and let the listeners know kind of what we're referencing here? Sure. I think one of the things with physicians is that you have to have far more education than anyone else. And so it's going to take you till much later in life to get out of all of these schools and all of these residencies and fellowships and really start earning money. In the meantime, depending on how you did that, you might be in tremendous debt. And so I think the first thing is getting out of debt and putting together a plan to get that under control. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you come out of whatever program you're finishing up, residency fellowship, you get your first job and all of a sudden your income jumps dramatically. You've put off all of these purchases for years. You've kind of been living behind while everyone else has kind of been pushing ahead and now you have this urge to kind of go build this amazing life. And I think the first thing is picking where you want to live. Because up until now, right, a lot of times you don't really get to pick. It's, you know, who kind of picks me that I kind of like. And you have to go to the medical school where the things come together and the residencies where things come together. Now you kind of get your choice. So I think the first decision is where do you want to live and why? Are you just going to chase money or are you going to chase the dream life you want? So part of that, I think, is is family support. Physicians work so much, their spouse gets stuck with kids. And if they don't have a support system and in a community they enjoy, that's not a good mix. So I think part of it is figuring out truly where you want to live. And then once you get there, if it's not someplace you're familiar with and you're not truly familiar with the place that you're going to work, it's like marriage. You know, they're courting you. They're telling you all these wonderful things during the dating process, but you don't know if they're true. And if you go make a large financial decision of buying a house before you truly understand the area and, and the people that you're working for, you might be stuck in two years. So take the time, you know, if during that period rent, no one's telling you to live like a resident or a fellow, you can rent a nicer place. You can live a little bit nicer, but well below your means. 
and well below this new income lifestyle. Figure out if everything is true. Is this really what I imagined? Is this the work environment that I imagined? Is this the neighborhood in this town that I imagined? And once you know better two years out that it is, well, at that point, you can go start to build your dream home or whatever it is. And then be mindful to the dream home. I have a really nice house. It's half of what I could have. But somewhere in my 40s, I came to an aha moment. I was surrounded by all this stuff that we bought. And I realized all this stuff that we bought created obligations for me. Now that I have this nice house and this beautiful lawn, I got to pay somebody to maintain the lawn. I got to pay somebody to mulch the thing. All these things in my house require attention and work. And things are changing so fast that I'm 52. So when I got married, people valued things totally different. You know, we bought a China set. Nobody wants to deal with China today. Mm-hmm. 20 years from now, all that stuff that you're spending money on may not be important. And the reason I say this is because in my mid 40s, we started paying people to come to our house, take all our crap, put it in piles. And literally, we went through and said, we're going to keep this small little pile. Please just get everything else out of here. All that money was wasted. All that energy and time that could have gone towards just savings or, you know, to get rid of that clutter of mess on you. So just be mindful. I I know what you, you see the world and you're like, I want, I want, I want. And I get it. I've been there. I've done it. And coming out the other end, and I'm not the only one. All the people that I talk to in my age group are all the same. If we had just not created all this clutter of all this stuff and let it go. I think that's another big part. And then put together a financial plan and have conversations with your spouse. Get on the same page. Make sure you have the same expectations. What is it that you both want out of life? And make sure that that you're on the same page and you're working towards the same goal. I've seen so many physicians, you know, they're killing themselves and working. Their wife and kids are at the beach having fun all summer which is creating an even bigger bill so that they've got to work even harder to support that family because they're and they feel guilty because they're never there to be with their kids. And so now you're guilt spending and and that creates even more problems. And God forbid your spouse leave you. That's another massive bill. All of these things are half your your net worth right there. Half your net worth. Right. So go spend time. Be intentional in making sure that you're loving your spouse and doing stuff for her. I know you work hard all day, and the last thing you want to do when you come home is have to please someone else. I get it, but it's important. And that's why I think if you take the time, and that's the biggest problem, throughout education, you don't even have time to think about anything else but what you're learning, is to create the space and start asking yourself those bigger questions. What do I want in life? What is important to me? There are so many ways to create a medical career beyond the, the one little path that you're thinking. There's so many other opportunities out there that you may find you want something different. And medicine itself is changing. I've been around medicine for probably close to 30 years. And doctor lifestyles 30 years ago with Wednesdays off to play golf and and you know, the nice lifestyle and afternoons of fun on Friday, I don't see it like I used to. You know, everybody's working for what I call corporate medicine, unfortunately. And 
if you've got a strong financial base, you have the ability to say no. And the power to say no is just so amazing. If you don't like the way they're treating you at work or things aren't being done the way you want, you can just turn in your resignation. Say, hey, I'm going to go do something else. And if you've done the things right to create that financial base, you can. I mean, that's so, so well said. It really is. And I, I absolutely love it. And, you know, when you, we're really talking about life planning here, you know, to actually put forth the effort to invest the time in yourself and your family to make sure that the choices you're doing and making are in your best interest that excite you the most, that bring you the most happiness. So we talked about buying real estate uh, or buying a home, right? When you start out. And I, I agree. If you're moving to a, a completely new city and you have no idea what the, the hospital is going to look like or the private practice you're about to start, it looks like you probably shouldn't buy in that area. You probably should wait and understand what it is. But if you grew up there, your family's there, you're going back, you did fellowship or, or residency there and you're just coming and staying on as an attending, you know, it might make sense to buy a home because you know the area and everything, but no decision is permanent in that sense. So I've worked with clients that, you know, I've started working and making a killer salary and then turn around and say, you know what, this isn't for me. Yeah. I'm making $800,000, but I work six days a week. And on the seventh day, I still feel like I'm working because I'm still getting calls and still do. I can't travel. I can't do anything. I can't start a family, even though the money is there. So I love that you're putting all of this out there in a very beautiful way, Rocky. I think that's amazing. And you've mentioned a couple times around kids and just raising financially aware kids or, or financially savvy kids. And I was wondering if you could just go into that a little bit for us, because I think that that's fascinating. It's something that I've written on. And um, I just did a podcast on the Dad's Married to Doctors, brand new podcast there. And we talked about uh, my kids and what I do for them. And granted, my kids are are three and two, so we're not at the you know, hey, let's give them a, some type of allowance yet. But I, I do have my son, I'll, um, I'll tell the story here, is he, we go to the aquarium here in Vegas at the Mandalay Bay, and at the very end, and they've got them all over, SeaWorld and all sorts of stuff, it's where you put the two quarters and the penny in, and then you crank the little machine, and out comes the penny, but they keep the 50 cents. And my son doesn't understand the value of that money yet, but he, he gets that we need at least coins to put in. So, you know, I tell him during the day, hey, you need to, you know, hey, pick up your toys and I'll make sure you get one of the coins you need for the, you know, when we go to the aquarium or play with your sister and you can have a coin. And when he gets the three coins, he gets all excited. And then we go to the aquarium and then the sheer joy of his, on his face when he's uh, moving the, the little machine over and it gets his penny and, you know, it's got the, the shark on it or something. It's, it's, it's amazing. But yeah, it's the little things, starting them, starting them young and understanding. But I'm curious to how, you know, and I've heard your podcast with your daughter, which is, again, amazing. But I'd like you to maybe talk a little bit on raising financially savvy kids. This is somewhat of a struggle in the sense that you're all making a lot of money. You have nice things. You're probably living in a neighborhood with other people whose kids have nice things. And it creates an entitlement expectation attitude. I think the goal is to say, is that what you want for your kid? Because if it's not, then you're going to have to be very upfront and active in changing that. So it sounds like you're already doing that, right? You're not just going to SeaWorld or wherever it is that you are 
and going into the gift shop and buying him a $10 item, are you? No, he gets the the 51 cent coin. He gets the 51 cent coin. And I, yeah. so I'm going to tell you two things for this. Number one, 51 cents is cheap. Of course. <laughs> Number two, that coin is tiny, right? You, yeah. you have a house full of kids. You see how fast your house fills up with crap. Oh, yeah. And the kids are perfectly fine with the little coin and a box. And I mean, to play with boxes versus all these toys and the things that we buy for them. If you set your expectations up front, if you spend time with your kids, they're not going to need stuff. What they want is your love. They want to know that they are loved. They want to know that they are enough. They want to know that they are safe. None of those things require you to buy them anything. Spend time with your kids, especially at bedtime when you're leaving in the morning. I know it's difficult. But if you spend time at those points hugging your kids and making them feel loved, the other problems will fix themselves. Now, from a financial standpoint, we basically, about the age of five is is really when we started to get hardcore on it. You can start at the younger ages like you're doing. You know, have your kids do chores. Create the expectation that there are things that they need to do. At five, what we did was we gave them their allowance whatever their age is. And so it increased with age. And we said, $1 goes to charity and then you split the other half. So the other half gets spending and saving. And saving meant you're going to save for something so far into the future, you have no idea what it is. Maybe a house, maybe your retirement. It's not for your car and it's not for your college. And it's Mm. not for like Christmas. We're talking like, many lifetimes for your five-year-old self. It was just to constantly set that expectation that is a saving for a very long period of time. So I, I thought you were going to say when you said we're splitting up is like you were going to take taxes. <laughs> at uh, first. No, but some people do <laughs> that. So I, I've heard of some people who do taxes too. Oh, that's comical. Um, I was like, how do I going to yes. explain tax to a five-year-old? <laughs> The other two bucks you get to spend. So here's where the difference went. When I gave them their money to spend, when we went to Target and they said, can I have a pack of gum? I go, sure you can. You have money. Go ahead and buy it. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, it is like a light switch. Night and day, when it's their money versus your money, all of a sudden gum is not important anymore. Isn't that fascinating? It's very fascinating. I've had my kids pick up toys, walk around the store with them, and when it was time to pay, put them back. No arguments. Because they didn't want to spend their money. Because they didn't want to spend their money. They will spend your money all day long. They will not spend their money. Now, some kids will spend the money and some will blow it. These are learning teachable moments. So when they go and they buy something and they blow their money on something stupid, a week later go, hey, how is that item that you bought? How'd that work out? Yeah, you're still playing with it a week later. You're still playing with it? The other thing we would do is I would teach my kids. I go, because if you're at a convenience store, you know, you can buy that pack of gum here. We're, we're going to go to the supermarket next. You can get four for double the price. So maybe you and your sibling can work it out and you each put in a buck and you'll end up with twice as much. Your choice. Mm-hmm. And, so teaching that. And, and on your show you with, with your daughter, she said that her and her brother saved up for a trampoline. And my immediate thought was when you said... Uh, you know, ask them how it is. Did they play with that trampoline a lot? Did they get a ton more enjoyment out of it, in your opinion? 
more than other stuff, but they probably didn't play with it as much as they should have. I think that was more an going outside kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> but yes, they appreciated it more. Well, she than, remembered the story. So, I mean, it, it was impactful, yes. which is, I mean, yes. what is it? A couple hundred bucks. I'd rather them, you know, a story and it be impactful for $300 than the $25,000 car uh, <laughs> kind of thing or, or a bigger mistake than that. Uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks isn't a big deal, but it's their own money that they've quote unquote they, earned, yes. right? Well, so, that we gave them that money. And then on top of that, I think what I've come to learn is give them opportunities to make more money. Oh, perfect. So, okay. So that's where I was going to go next. Yes. So that's perfect. Yeah. I, please continue. I would give them oper- – see, here's the problem. So there's a whole bunch of fighting that occurs around this money and around the things. And I saw this when my kids were young. Okay, you're going to get your allowance, but if you don't brush your teeth, do these three things, you're not getting your allowance, right? So now you're fighting over money. You see, now you're creating horrible money mindsets, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted my kids to learn about money, so I put it in their hands so they could learn about money. And I took all of the the fighting away. Adding in chores that you could get extra for, I think, is a great way to get over that battle. Now it's, hey, if you want more, here is an opportunity list for you. Do what you want. You don't want, then you're not going to have. That's your choice. And then on top of that, I think we set expectations up front. If you expect a car, you will need to figure out how to pay for it. You need to go earn money for a car. There will not be, I don't care what the neighbor says and what they give their kid, there will not be a car on your 16th birthday. And and I told my daughter, I said, if you're smart enough to go to college, you're smart enough to pay for college. Hmm. Now, I know it's a lot harder now than it ever was. Absolutely. We are going to provide a backstop, but honestly, unless you're going to be a doctor, a lot of college is a waste of time and money. And so don't set the expectation that you're going to send them to their dream school where they're going to party for four years on 250000 of your dollars. Those are money conversations. And I had someone on my show not that long ago, Kathy Fetke, and she she actually spends a lot of time you know, learning from millionaires and, and spending. And this is – she lived in an affluent neighborhood. I think they're in Malibu in, in uh, California. Oh, beautiful. She said – all the other kids, when her daughter turned 16, were getting BMWs. And the one kid cried because it was the wrong color. So they had to go change the BMW for the right color. Whoa. Her kid said, you're not getting a car. You want a car, you go pay for it. And literally, her kid bought some beater Jeep for like two grand. Guess whose car was the coolest of everyone's? The Jeep. The Jeep. The two grand Jeep. Because think about it. When you it's have different. a two grand Jeep, it's different. There's no expectation who cares? Everything's an adventure, you know, and it's yours. It's not like you were given this entitled type of thing. You don't have to give your kids money and stuff for them to love you. You just need to love them, listen to them, have conversations with them, be in their world, show them respect, turn off your phones, you know, go to their sports. And and when they play, when I've coached, sports all the way through up until varsity soccer. Mm. Every year at the beginning of the season, I, I sent a article to the parents. See, here's your job. When your kid walks off the field, you are only to say, I love to watch you play. That's it. My job to tell them how to play. Don't, don't fight with them. Don't argue with them. Just love them and support them. And you won't have to, you won't have to fix it with money. 
So yeah. that's probably the biggest piece of advice I can give there. Yeah, I love it. So a couple of things you mentioned: two hundred and fifty k in in expenses for for school to party on it. So my wife and I both went to the University of San Diego, and it was in like the low twenties, mid twenties to go there a year. And I did the calculation. I went back and said, "Hey, you know, based on how it's been growing, which just references is almost nine percent, is what it's been growing for like the past close to twenty years." My son, who's three, it's going to cost us almost $600,000 to send him to that school if it continues to grow. Now, I can't imagine it growing at that point, but at $600,000, I can't imagine a college degree would be worth that. You know, so we'll probably see more trade schools and things like that coming up, but I could not imagine end up paying that kind of bill for them. You don't have to go to a trade school. If your kids can learn to code, you don't need to go to college to learn to code. There's so much stuff available online for your kids to learn. And, and that's it. Set the expectation to be a constant learner. You know, teach them to read books and enjoy them. Teach them to learn. Teach them to do stuff and to go out and figure out, you know, let them get jobs. Let them go work. There are a tremendous amount of business people out there who you don't really need a college degree to do that. You, if you get involved in real estate, the power of real estate is amazing, but you, you have to be intentional and you have to have the time to do it. You can make a killing in real estate and you don't need a college degree to be in real estate. There's so many other ways to make money besides college. And I think society's changed because in the past, a lot of people didn't go to college and then it became this whole big party business. And I think because it's gotten so expensive, people are going to start looking for other alternatives and there are tremendous ones coming. Yeah. And then you got almost every listener here is going to be a doctor or married to a doctor. And, you know, they're sitting here with, I, I look at as my average clients, almost 300,000 of student debt, you know, and it's just going to get worse for our kids as they grow up. You know, my, my son's three, my daughter's two. So I've got, you know, 15, 16 years. I can't imagine what cost of college, cost of med school is going to be like, um, you know, to do that. So it's definitely going to be a huge expense. I'm actually curious though. So you're talking about uh, how you pay pay your kids starting at five, and and there's a ton of different ways to do it. And I actually like the way that you've you've described. Um, but I'm curious on your thoughts. So the way that I grew up was to work. My job was school, and I was paid for grades. It wasn't a ton, but I was basically paid for grades. If I had an A, I got X amount. If I got a B, I had X amount. If I got a C, I owed X amount. And if I ever got a D or F, I'm pretty sure that I'd just be grounded forever kind of thing. But <laughs> there wasn't a, a push to have me work. It was a push to have me work on my studies and to actually do well in school and to not kind of party and things like that. Now, granted that, you know, partying is, is later on in the school age, if you will. But growing up the whole time, I mean, since I was probably in first grade, I can remember getting paid. Maybe it was a dollar or $2, $5 or whatever it might be. But do you have any other tips or tricks in terms of that? We did reward our kids for good grades. And it was kind of an expectation that you were just going to be a straight A student. Mm -hmm. And if you were struggling somewhere, we would also always spend the summer helping our kids bring up their struggle and then push them forward in the areas that they excelled so that when they went back to school, if they had excelled in an area and were ahead of the curve, they could use that extra time to work on the areas they were behind the curve. And then the entire day of school wasn't a struggle. Just part of school was a struggle. 
we did spend quite a bit of time and focus on education, especially over the summers, because most people just let that go and your kids slide down. Well, while your kids sliding down, my kids stepping up and that creates much more of a separation. But it's not like this crazy like lifestyle where you're going from, you know, all of these centers they have now for education that, you know, you can sign up for all these things. My kids never went to those. We did stuff at home, just working with them one on one. You invested in your kids. We invested in our kids. Yes. It's beautiful. Time. And, you know, now there's so much software out there and there's so many electronic games. And that's the other thing is, is watching what they watch on TV. And like my kids at five knew when they would watch a commercial and they'd see a cool toy, especially one they've had, I'd be like, Hey, is your toy as cool as that one? And they're like, no, I go, that's right. That's a commercial. They want your money. You know, that money you have in your hand, they want it. They're going to make it look 10 times better than it really is. And since you have that toy, you can see that Mm. you have to connect dots for these kids. Kids can't connect dots. They can't connect dots in high school. Like I've literally like, especially when I'm coaching, it's connecting dots, CX, CY, see how they go together. Like you literally have to put it down to that level. I think you have to connect dots for adults too, that never had that kind of training, right? From their parents to do that, uh, which is a thing, but well, Rocky, I really appreciate you being on the show. At the end of the show, I always ask the guests uh, one question. And my question for you is, as doctors finish their training, what is the one piece of advice that you could give them to start off on a very strong financial foundation? Delay your spending. Don't, don't just run out and go crazy. You're living on X, right? As a resident. So let's say you're living on 50,000 and now you're going to make 200,000. Why don't you go enjoy a hundred thousand first live on a hundred thousand for the next year or two, build that solid financial base. And once you have the solid financial base, then you can start to have lifestyle creep and start to do nicer things. But once you do it, when, when you have the strong base, everything else will work out. If you don't, you can end up like that cake that was done out of order. You're stuck in a job you hate. you stuck with payments and you don't have a choice because you don't have the financial freedom to go do whatever you choose to do. Yeah. Well, you heard it. Have a strong financial foundation or become a disgusting cake. <laughs> Rocky, thank you so much for being on. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. It's been a pleasure to be here. That was such a great conversation with Rocky. I hope all of you really enjoyed that. And it's such a pleasure to talk with people like Rocky and know that people out there exist that are like him. You know, the millionaire next door kind of guy that, you know, just wants to do well and teaches kids well. And it's just overall such a great person. So Rocky, thank you so much for being on the show. I greatly appreciated it. Well, I'd love for all of you guys to join me in the Financial Residency Facebook community, which again, you can join at financialresidency.com slash community. And there we can continue the conversation and asking questions, getting your answers, and just being overall informed with a community of like-minded individuals trying to increase your financial knowledge. Until next week, take care. Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode has ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com, where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. 
That's financialresidency.com.